Hey, hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. This is a good one. This is a conversation with my friend Brent Somerville. He's my neighbor. He's my friend. And he's the first ever second timer on the podcast. Last time we talked about sustainable energy, this time more specifically wind energy. But before we get into that, how are you doing? How are things? Things are going actually really well for me. I'm in a new season of life, and I just started last week, I just started teaching a course that Appalachian State University here in Boone asked me to design and teach, and I'm honored to do that. It's a class called Communication and Religion. The subtitle is Public Speaking Within a Religious Context, and when I got asked to do that uh, last year sometime or whenever they asked me six plus months ago, I laughed on the phone. I said, oh my God, that's literally the only thing I know how to do, which is not entirely true, but it's an oversimplification, which is what I do. Uh, It's what I've been doing for a very long time. It's one of the only skill sets that I've really worked on consistently in my adult life. And so I designed the class and it's going so well so far with the one exception of a bunch of the students in the class didn't know that's, they don't really understand what they signed up for. So that's a bit of a challenge. Uh, I'm also uh, doing real estate. Um, Kimberly and I invested in some properties uh, over the last few years. And so we have those like on Airbnb. And then I'm helping other people manage their real estate or their investment properties like short-term vacation rentals. And then just, you know, doing general real estate stuff. And I'm working with my friend Benjamin Ray at his firm called Client First. So a free little plug here for myself. If you're looking for a realtor, if you're looking to buy or sell a home, give me a call, contact me, message me, send me a letter, a postcard, send me a direct message, send me an email, send me a text. Do it. If you know someone, all right, that adds over. Okay, it's actually for real advertising moment now. This episode of Things About Things is brought to you by Hatchet Coffee here in Boone. Whether you live in Boone currently or used to live in Boone or have come on vacation to Boone, you most likely have heard of and most likely have tried and enjoyed a nice beverage at Hatchet Coffee. And because you're a listener of Things About Things, you can get 20% off your purchase online. Mmm, you know that how they just lightly roast that stuff and they package it and all that nice, pretty goodness, and you know that the money's actually going in the right places and that the people that actually grew the coffee and or the farmers are actually getting paid a fair wage and the staff at Hatchet are actually getting paid a, a fair wage and enjoy their jobs and their paychecks and the people that they work with. And you know when you go and sit in there or outside of there how good and yummy that stuff is. So if you no longer live in Boone, you might not even know that Hatchet has a an online store that you can buy stuff and they deliver it to you. They're not yet to the place that they can give you, you know, a hot beverage in the mail, but you can get some of their coffee, either whole bean or ground. So here's what you do to get 20% off 
an online purchase at Hatchet. You go to hatchetcoffee.com and then click all the fun things you want to buy. And then when it's time right before checkout, you enter the discount code THINGS. So go to hatchetcoffee.com and then enter the discount code THINGS to get 20% off your order. first second timer and we talked about renewable energy last time and at that time you were working at app state teaching sustainable technology technology yep uh and now you're the distributed wind energy systems engineer working for the u.s department of energy yeah for the national renewable energy lab in rail and that's kind of i mean with app it was sustainable whatever but wind has always kind of been your thing right even though you talked right. about other things and taught other things and i'm sure have studied other things wind is your right is your thing yeah i came to app state to get into renewable energy and i was open-minded right and the uh, the big opportunity was a funded project to set up a test site on the top of beach mountain uh, for small wind turbines and so i ran that site and uh, that got me more into wind than any of the other technologies, and here I am, still in it. Beach Mountain is probably a good place for that, isn't it? It is, yep. Isn't it like the highest place in this whole region? It's like Eastern America's highest town. Mm Mm-hmm. Eastern United States' highest town, like incorporated town, yep. Well, that makes makes me think of what I've always assumed is the higher up you are, the more wind there is. Is that even a thing? Is that a correlation? It is a thing. Yeah. We live in the mountains and the ridges are windy. Yep. So I think before we get into wind energy and I told you this was coming, but I need to know what wind is. Like, can you, can you explain what it is? Cause to me it's this invisible, mysterious, powerful thing. I have no idea what it is, where it comes from. I mean, obviously I feel it, Right. We know it's, it, it's real, but what is wind? Yeah, it is mysterious and invisible and powerful. Those are good <laughs> descriptors. Um, well, we, you know, we have an atmosphere, and it's full of air. And so uh, wind is moving air. It moves because of solar energy. Really? And so the solar, uh, the sun energy hits the, the globe, and what it drives, you know, on the big scale are these huge convective loops, convection. So the middle, the, around the equator, it's hot. And then the, on the poles, it's cold. Okay. Um, and if, imagine that we're a ball in space, not moving, just subjected to the sun. It would drive these massive convective loops. And what that means is uh, the hot part, the air, um, like around the equator, the air is hot. And then on the poles, the air is cold. And so the cold air is heavy, and it goes down, and the hot air goes up. Yeah. And so the cold air follows it and, it, and it heats up, 
and goes up, and then the hot air goes north, descends. Has to move. And so you have this huge convective loop. Wow. And if we weren't spinning, and if it was sort of a, a blank slate, you'd have this one northern hemisphere cell of convective air. Okay, yeah. It would yeah. be rushing from the north to the south, heating up, rising, going back north, falling as it cools. Right. And then, and then going south again, heating up, rising, and then... But we it. are moving. Yeah, so We're those... rotating and orbiting. Right. Or, yeah. So how does that change what happens inside of this? Yeah, so atmosphere? we don't have two cells, a northern and a southern hemispherical okay. convective loop going mm-hmm. uh, north and south, because we are spinning... And so those uh, north and south movements driven by the sun are deflected wow. and they start to swirl. Um, so that, that the result are these large convective loops that are moving around the globe. Unreal. And due to the tilt and the Coriolis effect of the spinning earth, um, the result, the, it's kind of the large scale result of that um, swirling convective loops is like prevailing winds. So up here where we live in sort of the northern part of the northern hemisphere, we have predominant westerly. So most of them are like the wind, the air is moving from California to North Carolina, coming okay. from the, the west. All right. And it's going that way. So most of the weather, you know, comes across the, the United States from yeah, the yeah. west. That's We're in the westerlies. The general prevailing wind is uh, is moving from the west. Uh Further south, you're in the trade winds. So the spices moved around, you know, ships moved around oh, the earth. That's right. yeah. And they would try to get into the trade winds, and they're going the other direction, moving from the east to the west. To literally coming be able to, to sail better, right? Exactly. So yeah. you get in the trade winds, and you yeah. come right across. Unreal. And in between, there's like some doldrums where it's not windy, and the equator is not very windy. And then on the southern hemisphere, it's just a mirror image. And then in the poles, you have uh, polar easterlies as well. So you have, it's coming from the east up in the polar area, coming from the west where we live, and then coming from the east again in the trade wind. So it's just these swirling air masses of convective loops uh, traveling around the world. Which means even though it is a bit mysterious, it also can be understood somewhat. Right, but uh, but we're not a simple ball. We're a complex... Um, surface of water and land um, canyons and, and mountains yeah. um, uh, rough and smooth places yeah. and so those terrain um, and land and, and water differences cause local winds uh-huh. so the big stuff we're talking about are like the uh, big air masses causing prevailing winds but they're all the the local stuff causes local winds Okay. So like yeah. when you said Beach Mountain's windy, that's a local effect. Not because of all the stuff. But you it's just influenced about. by those prevailing well, sure, winds. Sure. So <laughs> weird stuff happens um, between land and water, between mountains and valleys, between um, lakes and and plains, and all this interaction causes local winds. And sometimes the local wind flow coincides with that big prevailing wind flow, and they amplify, and you have these really windy areas Man. where that happens. Well, I mean, I've lived at the beach. I grew up at the beach, and when, the closer you get to the ocean, the more wind there is. And now yeah, I live in the mountains, exactly. and it seems like it's windier than when I've lived in the non-mountains. Yeah. So at the beach, um, the water absorbs the energy from the sun without heating up. It has a different uh, heat capacity, specific heat. Wow. 
the land uh, absorbs solar energy and heats right up. So in the daytime at the beach, the land gets hot, and so that hot air rises, and all that cool air on the ocean rushes in. Oh wow! And and that's the convec- a local convection loop, right? From cool, yeah, hot and cold, yeah, cool yeah. water to hot land, and so uh, when you're at the beach and you're looking at the the ocean, generally the wind is coming in your face. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do people know how to set up their umbrellas? Because you know, how do they know the wind's going to be coming from the ocean? Yeah. It's because of that interaction between the two, oh, uh, the man, wind, uh, the so land, great. and the water. Now at night, um, the uh, the land cools faster, okay. and the water doesn't cool as fast because it's stored up all that heat. Right, and so it reverses. Really, and then you, the, it, at night in the ocean it, it flows. The way? It flows from the land out to the ocean. Never even really thought about that. It reverses the other way. And the mountains, same thing. Uh, we live in the mountains, wow. and so in the mountains, the sun comes up and it strikes the side, uh, the moist air on the mountain side and top, and heats it up before it strikes down in the valley. So it, it rises up from yeah. the mountains, and yeah, the yeah. cool air of the valley rushes in, and so the, the, this, the valley breezes cr- climb up the mountains in the daytime. And they're fighting gravity, so they're kind of a breeze. Uh-huh. Not a big, like, whoosh, but uh-huh. they're moving up the valley into the mountains. And then at night, the mountains cool first because they're way up high, and, the, and um, they radiate out into space real oh, quick. Okay. And then the cool air in the mountains drains, you know, gravity assist drains out down through the valley. And so you have mountain drainage, rushing air down, really? back, you know, reversing the direction and now rushing down through the, the valley. Um, so the people that live like in the foothills experience that. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, so it's all about geography at that point. Yeah. How are the mountains positioned and the, and the wind that's coming from those mountains at night, is it funneling through a canyon and then op- you know, spilling out into yeah, the plains? Yeah, it... And so that little canyon is a focal point. Right. Uh, so, for example, Spanish Fork, Utah, is, a, is at the drainage opening of a big canyon, and the view is a big 14,000-foot mountains. So in the daytime, the wind kind of chills out. It's almost like the mountains are inhaling. Yeah, yeah. A, a gradual, you know, sucking in. The, the, the air is moving from Spanish Fork up into those mountains. And at night, the cold air just rushes back down. So there's a wind that? farm in that uh, canyon. Because it knows it's, a breathing, test site. it's breathing in yeah. and out. And at night, it exhales with gravity assist and rushes through. All night long. And then when the sun comes back up, it just turns off and then starts to go back up, you know, every day. There had to have been a time in human history where people, well, obviously this has to be true. Mm. They realized that, but they didn't know why. Right. Like they knew it always blows, same with the ocean. It always blows this way in the day mm-hmm. and then it comes back at night. Right. And it then it, if you don't know why, I guess it chalk it up to mystery. Mm-hmm. And it stories. makes me, yeah, yeah, and stories. It makes me think of um, in, the, in the Hebrew language, the word ruach or ruah is the word for wind, but it's the same word for breath and air. Yeah. And, it, and wind. It's and a lot it, it's like, like inhaling and exhaling. Spirit too, like sp- spirit and wind and air. It's all, so it seems like maybe, you know, it, the, the spiritual... This is special. And I feel like that when I'm at the beach or if I'm in the mountains right. and I'm by myself. Special place. Yeah, this feels special. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess, I mean, as we talk about how it can create energy, I mean, it is related to life, right. sustaining life. And so I guess 
I want to know what energy is, though. I think we talked about that a little bit last time, but might be like almost too simple of a question. But mm -hmm. I don't really know how to define what energy is, though. Mm. Well, think about it. Uh, think about being about 2,800 years before Christ in Egypt. You're powering your boat with slaves. They're rowing the boat. So they're making the boat move forward, and it's all slave power. Okay. And now they're the first ones uh, to be, um, whatever, uh, attributed to using wind energy first. They put up sails uh, to help. So they don't have to row the slaves. As much. And they were grinding with uh, with animals. Animals. Yeah, slaves. they go in the little yep, circle. They were grinding the with donkeys animals or the whatever, whatever they had. And then <laughs> they uh, they put up sails in windy areas to assist the grinding. And so they're like, you know, as wind assist was the Egyptians' first go at it. So you have... And so in, the first energy, go at wind energy is to replace human or animal energy. Right. More specifically, maybe humans or animals that might not... They might not have wanted to do it. Yeah, energy <laughs> right. is just doing work. Yeah. So working. the power yeah. is the power comes from somewhere and that you're using it to do work. And now wind energy is just... You're like, okay, you know, we've noticed... For some reason, this is a windy area, and they, they just tried to harness it. The uh, Persians put up these uh, devices that the wind turned it, and it did their grinding with no animals. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the Crusaders went all around that region. They brought back those ideas to Europe, and then the Dutch built Dutch, these yeah. modern uh, four-bladed windmills, and they pumped water and did grind. Now, were they, were grinding. they, I think of the Dutch when I think of that. Yep. Are they the ones that figured it out the best or they, did they get lucky and they happened to have good wind where they were? Yeah, it's windy there and they did uh, some good engineering design on those Dutch windmills. a little windmills, bit of both. Right. Um, and then that technology transferred to the English during the medieval times oh. and English windmills. And then that came over to New England and you, you see windmills up there, all Dutch descent. Um, and then, of course, America ignored all that and, and started from scratch with the water pumping windmills all across the country. But we, you like, see, we like to start from scratch. Right yeah, here and <laughs> don't listen to anyone else. Like, we got a good idea. <laughs> and then I guess finally the Danish, uh, Denmark, mm -hmm. were the pioneers of making electricity, okay. which is this commodity that does work in various ways. Yeah, sure. You know, it's, Flip a switch. Yeah, it's not special. Like a water pumper just pumps water. Making electricity, now you have this common uh, energy medium that you can do lots of stuff with. Pump water or grind or air condition or... Turn on your TV. Iron your suit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and so energy, uh, so harvesting wind to do work is just wind energy. In modern times, it's all about windmills make electricity, but in, in the old days, it was like literally doing the work or driving the moment arm that was doing the grinding or the pumping or the sailing so it sounds like wind energy is wouldn't exist without solar energy right although i guess the earth wouldn't nothing would. we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't a sun <laughs> i guess right we wouldn't be alive yeah but the combination of that but it also sounds like same thing with water and wind energy is kind of at the mer or not at the mercy of but exists because of the dynamic of the sun and the water and the earth and the soil. It, mm -hmm. it just kind of exists because of that. And water energy and wind energy, I'm guessing, probably were figured out by humans before how to harness solar energy, right? Yeah, the solar energy is probably seen as more as, uh, you know, heating something up um, or more like growing plants. 
Well, right, yeah. Uh, it's, it seems like so the only was, option. Right, it gives life, time. but you know, passively, you don't. It just feels warm to you, and it's kind of maybe it's like obvious. It's like, oh, that's warm. Yeah, and it makes these plants grow. And they're like, put I don't them know in what's the sun instead of not in the sun. <laughs> yeah, and water is different than wind in that the solar energy drives the water cycle, which is very similar. Evaporation from water, transpiration drives the moisture up, and then it condenses and falls again. So it's kind of a similar to the convection loop, but it's the water cycle Unreal. with evaporation. And, it, yeah. And per It still goes in a circle, which is very... Just driven by the sun. Which mm-hmm. seems, I mean, seems very, that, that concept of something doing that in mm-hmm. the circle seems so, I don't know, like a universal yeah. way of things. Seems sustainable. <laughs> yeah, it's totally. It's yeah. a loop driven by this sun that comes up every day with no end in sight. Whether we make it come up or not, right? right. It just does. We, don't have we to... could block it. We could. We. I mean, we. The Earth has blocked the sun before, probably, huh. when the dinosaurs were right around. It didn't yeah. end well. Right. And volcanoes. I don't know. Uh, asteroids. No meteors. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the humans noticed. You're right. They noticed. Like this is a special place. This is a special wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places. The those large scale prevailing winds and those local effects of water, land, canyons, and mountains, um, they they amplify each other. And then when a, a certain kind of storm comes in, then they that is the third amplification. Oh right. And so I wrote down. I looked at Paul Geip's book and I wrote wrote down some named regional winds. It's like the Chinooks. You know, the Chinooks are these winds that roar down the east side of the Rockies. So the Rockies are cold, right. and all that cold air drains out through like El Dorado Canyon okay. and runs right through InRail's test site at Rocky Flats, just destroy, trying to destroy wind turbines. So that's why we do research there, wow. because of the Chinooks. Uh, the Santa Ana winds are in Southern California, and so that's a clearing wind where you get a really hot interior and the cool Pacific air rushes in yeah. and it clears out all the pollution in LA and they're like, whoa, look, mountains. And those are the Santa Ana winds. So they happen occasionally when all these things align and it's a cleansing wind. Oh, man. Uh, the phone in the Alps is a similar thing. I don't know. I've never heard of that. The Scirocco winds uh, sweeps across the Mediterranean from North Africa. Similarly, um, the Mistral winds in southern France, and then finally the Tre uh, Montana winds howling out of the eastern Pyrenees. Man, this whole world is so connected. <laughs> it's so connected. <laughs> I saw some some. Oh man, I wish I would have researched this before we talked. But I saw something on Netflix that was like a documentary about. They found. Um, they found soil or you know particles or something that was in on the other side of the world from some completely dry desert in somewhere in Africa or something or Middle East or something and it was in the Amazon and and it seems impossible for that to have happened but it happened and the wind carries things yeah does wind when it's whipping through a valley and there's water doesn't Mm -hmm. it seem like it would take some of the water with it um, yeah, the water, if it's, if the sun is shining on the water, uh, you know, the water is evaporated yeah, and so you have a, a moisture it and carry it. Mm-hmm. And theoretically that means it carries life somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And then that rises up. So like in Vermont, uh, you know, early 
our early foray into wind electricity was on Grandpa's Knob in the Green Mountains of Vermont. And they knew it was windy because you've got the, the large-scale prevailing winds coming from the west. And there, they come across Lake Champlain, which is like a slick spot. Yeah, and it's, and it's water, so it has that uh, difference of heating between the water and the mountains. <clears throat> so it whips across Lake Champlain, and then it rises up over the Green Mountains and, and compresses over those ridges. Um, so you have windy uh, mountain ridges, and that's one of our early, uh, first like megawatt, you know, large-scale wind turbines was there in the 1940s. Really? Yeah. That's great. It broke a blade, and they, they couldn't keep pursuing it because we had a war that was taking all the metal and, metal and yeah, stuff, yeah. resources. Uh, but th that was another special place, you know, the Green Mountains. Not just because they were mountains, but... Uh, there were mountains with an adjacent lake, which that slick spot accelerated the wind even more. And like you said, Beach Mountain is our local, or all these ridges, uh, Tater Hill, hang gliding, uh, Beach Mountain, wind energy. Um, so they, there's, there's a couple things going on with our mountains. One is the ridge, you know, the, the, the air is moving across the land and it does rise up and compress over the top of the ridge as it, you know, is pushing over the ridge, it speeds up. Yeah, yeah. But um, in addition to that, we have these temperature inversions where the, the air in these valleys gets a little bit stagnant. It's like it all settles in the valleys. But our mountains penetrate that inversion. Really? And they poke up into the yeah, moving sure. air. Right, right. That, whereas down here, we're like, huh, it's a calm day. But these ridges that are um, 6,005 to 6,000 feet, they penetrate that, and they're out of the, um, they're, they're like islands. Yeah. And so that above the inversion layer, which is stagnant air, you have this moving air mass. The ridges are up in that, and that, uh, to the wind, that uh, stagnant air looks almost like a lake. So it's like skating across the top of it and then compressing over that ridge. Right. And you're like, holy cow, Radiant. if you drive to Beach Mountain on a calm day in Boone, it may be way windier. Is there a researched official elevation point? Where that is? Yeah, Dennis Scanlon had some numbers. Like down in the Asheville Valley, it starts to get good around 2,500 feet. And then up here around 3,500 feet. Oh, so it's not universal around the world kind of no, thing. No, it's kind of a regional based thing. Based on where, okay, yeah. Yeah, based on the local heights and the, um, the terrain. Makes me think of air as, I mean, like... Like we're in we're in an ocean of air. That's right, at the bottom of the ocean. And we're at the bottom of the ocean of mm -hmm. air, and we call it the boundary layer. Really uh -huh. cool. And then there's there's some islands. Yep. And, they and these poke ridges up are above islands. that, mm -hmm. the ocean. Right. I've never heard anything like this before, man. That's so cool. It's because it's invisible, <laughs> and it seems like it's nothing there, but it weighs, you know, something like one point two two five kilograms per cubic meter, and that's about two point seven pounds. And a cubic meter is like three feet by three feet by three feet. So like the size of your your uh, trash can that you roll to the curb is full of air right now. And that air weighs almost three pounds. And so like that air is something. And when you when yeah. it's and when it's moving at 20, 30, 100 miles per hour, it's powerful. It's still invisible, but it, it's got some weight. And now when you add velocity, um the power, the ratio of the power it has to its velocity is, is cubic. So you take that velocity number and you multiply it velocity times velocity times velocity, that's the power. Oh, so when you man. get these high winds, it's like 20 times 20 times 20. Um, and you know, every little gust is yeah, like yeah. a big, big push of power. 
So, um, so you know how to harness it on a basic level as humanity. You go, hey, what if we put up a sail? Right. It what pushes. If, yeah, it pushes. What if we do a wind, you know, windmill? Mm-hmm. But... And the early windmills were just pushing, like sails. But yeah, yeah. the Dutch were like, you know, if we turn it this, it this way, way. And, we, and we shape it this way, you get some aerodynamic lift involved. So it kind of flows over the blade and, and generates some suction. And that yeah. accelerates the blade. So they did some early aerodynamics work. So how do you take the, other than the very primitive version, put up a sail that pushes you on the water. Right. How do we harness wind right. and make energy? Uh, so the modern wind turbines today have uh, blades that are a lot like wings on an aircraft. They have a curved uh, shape, um, and when the um, when the so when the wind when you put that in front of the wind, it's it's the whole blade is shaped to start turning just from that push of the wind, and then once it starts turning, now the blade is actually moving through the wind. Um, and so as it's moving through the wind, it's like, okay, the wind is now flowing over the blade. And when the wind flows over that curved aerodynamic airfoil shape, it creates a lift. That same force that makes your 737 take off with full of people, um, as you're flying down the, the runway at some speed, the same force as the wind is, is moving across the blade, that lift force is now... Uh, driving the blade around in a circle. And so it's a slow start, but once it gets going, going. the aerodynamic lift, um, so it's not pushing it anymore, it's sucking it around. It's this, the force that moves the wind turbine blade is a suction force. The force that makes the wings go lift the airplane is lift, it's a suction force. Because the air traveling over this curved surface creates a low pressure, and that's a suction that, that lifts the plane up. Well, it sounds like that means, in theory, it's, if we can figure out a way to get the plane off the ground to begin with, right. once it's in the air, it can generate its own energy. Uh, the, well, no, the airplane is gassing it the whole time because it has no, I to... I mean, in theory, in the future, can it... Do, well, you have to keep moving through the fluid oh. to generate the lift yeah, okay. and stay up. So okay. that's why, the, the ham, that's why they, they try to get uh, the tailwind to assist them, but yeah. they always have to be moving through the wind. The oh, wind turbines are yeah. standing there, and that's why they need to be put in these windy places. Oh, uh, yeah. We yeah. don't put them in front of a fan and right. make the wind flow across the blades. We put them where it's windy, and then this solar-driven heat engine of moving fluid is what's, you know, for free, moving across those blades and turning them for free. Yeah. And no one's throttling them through uh, like an airplane. It's the, uh, the sunshine is throttling the movement of the air, and we're just yeah harnessing it to turn those bl- to turn that shaft connected to those blades. But then, as those as wind makes something move, the word movement just came to my mind as you said it, like almost like that's you take the movement of air and make it into the movement of something else, and that's yeah. it. That's how we can harness that energy. Movement of a with a sail is the movement of the boat, right? Uh, we're not um, so we're so energy can't be created or destroyed. Yeah, it can just be converted. So these so different movements. So we're changing some of the wind into rotational energy. So that those blades, the rotor of the wind turbine, is slowing the wind down. Really? By about two thirds. Does that affect the world? 
Um, like well, the slowing of the wind. Theoretically, everything affects something. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, butterfly but it's, effect. It's neg- Yeah, the butterfly effect. <laughs> yeah. But I would say it's negligible. And yeah. some university ran the numbers. If we had this many millions of wind turbines, would it affect? And it was like, well, a little bit, theoretically. But, but not as much as the use of fossil fuels are affecting. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not a concern. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> We're not going to slow down this uh, solar-driven uh, wind phenomenon much. Unreal. <laughs> so, so the turbines moving. Yeah. How does that become energy that we would, you and I would use, though? Right. It's like, and then uh, it's... oh, cool, the 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 blades are moving. Mm-hmm. But it makes me think of there's a comedian Rory Scovel. He's like, you know, even though we're decently intelligent people, nobody in here could explain how a microphone works and goes through a speaker. We'd all say something like, "Goes in the microphone and then goes through the wires and just blah." Like we don't, <laughs> we don't know how this stuff works. So how does it like, right. like energy goes through the turbine, it goes through a thing, and then blah, we all can turn on our switches of our house. Like how in the world do you take that yeah. movement and have it mm-hmm. end up where I flip a switch on my? Wall. Yeah, and you're right. Most people don't know. I mean, they look at a wind turbine like, oh, it's spinning. It must be doing something. Yeah. They make electricity. Well, and when little, what's those things that, not a windmill, but, you know. Whirly ones, gigs. Yeah. That uh, doesn't generate. Pinwheels. Pinwheels don't make my right. house have electricity. Fine. They're just fun. Yeah. Yeah. We like things that spin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like the, another comedian said, like, what if the, some aliens, you know, beam me up? They're like, all right, tell us how you do your electricity. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Well, how, how, do, how do cars work? I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so once we have a, a turning shaft, then it's pretty tra- it's pretty uh, straightforward. In other words, we've been making motors and generators for a long time. Okay. In our industrial revolution. Yeah, yeah. And what it's, it, it, uh, what it's doing is turning a shaft that is... Turning is causing um, a relational uh, uh, movement between some magnets and some coils of wire. Oh, cool! Um, so the coils of wire are generally copper, some sort of uh, conductor of electricity. Yeah, yeah. And it's the copper atoms are just all packed in there, um, and copper is shiny like all conductors, and it's shiny because it has very few electrons in its outer shell. Whereas a rubber atom looks like a tennis ball. It's, it's packed full of electrons. And so we use that uh, characteristic of like a copper atom um, because now when we sweep a magnet near that copper, those copper atoms, that magical force emitting from a magnet, magnetic flux, magnetism, yeah. that force causes the electron in the copper atom to jump to the next atom. We dislodge it. Makes it, yeah. And so uh, when you, the wind energy is used to, to push the magnets in very close proximity, very strong magnets in very close proximity to coils of copper wire. And as they go by, the magnetism causes all the copper atoms to pump in one direction. It's, it's the same symbol of the, of the spin. Yeah. And, and like so, they, the, uh, so the here's a, I'm, I'm holding a circle shape in my hand, and yeah. here, here comes a magnet. As it gets a, as it approaches the uh, all the copper atoms go in one direction, and then as it leaves, um, they go in the other direction. So in one pass, really? the uh, the copper atoms are driven in one direction down the wire, and then they go back the other direction. Okay. And so we call that alternating current, and it's what's uh, wired up in your house here. 
And so the AC. electrons aren't oh, yeah, AC. AC. I learned that, I'm sure, at Not one DC. point in my life. <laughs> yeah, DC is direct current, and, and the electrons flow out of the uh, negative side of the battery through the circuit, make the light go or whatever, and then go back to the positive side of the battery yeah. in one direction. Direct current. Alternating current is just as I described. Yeah. The electrons just go that way, and then they go that way. And in the U.S., we operate on 60 hertz uh, frequency of alternated current. That means the electrons change direction 60 times per second. Oh, wow. And so they're yeah, just going back and forth. And so electricity is just the movement of electrons. We pump them or make them move with the magnets going past the copper wires, and we drive the magnets with the shaft connected to the blades. Wow. And just to keep those electrons on the move that are all wired up together on the national grid or, you know, national grids. Yeah. Um, and so the same thing that drives a hydro turbine is a hydro turbine uh, is driven by water, turns the shaft, turns the magnets, there's yep. the coils. Once you harness the energy itself, then right. it's roughly the same yeah, what you so, do with Yeah, the it. electrical generator side is pretty common. The input side is the turbine, yeah. steam turbine, gas turbine, uh, hydro turbine, wind turbine, yeah. whatever's turning that shaft. Um Wind, of course, is a little more wild than yeah. steam or water. In other words, it come, you know, it's not there when you want it. It's like too much of it when you when you don't need it. So it's, it sounds it, like you can track it and it's a little feel more like challenging. you get it, but then also it might be different than you thought. It's challenging to harness that energy because it's so um, it's there, it, then it's not. It it comes and then it goes. It's very powerful. Is there it's anywhere turbulent. that you know? Is there any trackable places in the world that you're like, the wind will be between this miles per hour and this miles per hour all the time, and you can... Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, we, we describe that as the Weibel uh, shape factor. <laughs> Weibel shape factor. Yeah. Because, <laughs> That'd be a good band name. <laughs> over time, you know, the wind blows at it, uh, certain wind speeds for a certain amount of time per year. Okay. So you get some days the wind's light. You get some days the wind's heavy. You get some days the wind's average. Um, around here, it's like, today's not windy. Tomorrow's going to be crazy windy because it's mostly storm fronts that come through. Uh -huh. um, but in like Aruba, which is placed, it's an island in the trade winds, its Weibel shape factor is three instead of two. And all that means to me is the wind is very likely to be blowing around its average wind speed. Sometimes yeah. a little more, sometimes a little less. So in other words, if you wake up in Aruba and the, where the average wind speed is about uh, 15 miles per hour, it's probably blowing 15 miles per hour that day. So it's more consistent. So it yeah. seems like a good place for wind energy, except for the fact it that it's an island and there's not right. a lot of space because humans right. want to live there. And yeah, exactly. Do but, you have to go really high up? Good question. Uh, first of all, Aruba it does have a wind farm and oh. and distributed wind turbines from the Dutch. I think it's colonized by the Dutch. Oh, I don't originally. Know. Anyway, a lot of uh, small wind turbines and a wind farm down near the prison. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that powers most of the island. It, are wind turbines loud? Is that? Uh, no, that uh, they can be. Like if you if they malfunction, if they're poorly designed. With, there's some aerodynamic stuff that can happen and, and generate lots of noise. Uh, but in general, modern wind turbines are pretty quiet. So you, I can understand why, like if it was a 
if there was something like a culture would say, hey, this is a nuisance to us, therefore we'll put it where people right. are incarcerated. But right. I don't think of wind as that. Maybe like I could see nuclear. <laughs> like, I don't know. Just I can't figure out why Yeah. you said that and why they would decide that. Um, yeah, on the noise issue, I would say, uh, you know, we ran a test site on Beach Mountain and some wind turbines turn fast and the blades make some considerable noise, especially when they malfunction. Yeah. Like they go a little too fast. You're like, ooh, that doesn't sound right. Like a fan in, in a bedroom, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, that's freaking that, me that's out. That's not going to be, that's <laughs> yeah, not going to last gonna, long. Yeah. But the, in just, uh, you know, 16 years, I've seen them go almost silent. Like you try to measure them and the sound of the background of the, the, the wires, the grass, the trees is louder than the wind turbine. And so you, oh, you can't even get a reading yeah. on some modern wind turbines. But they do, they do, they're doing some mechanical work and they make some noise. Uh, but as you said before, they're way up on a tower, and that noise, that sound, dissipates pretty quickly with distance. Okay. And so if you aren't in, up in right. there, yeah. it's not loud. Well, when I've driven out west, I've seen, you know, like on I-40, I'll see whole kind of like fields of them. And yeah. I'm guessing, I mean, just making this up based on my memory, 50, 100 feet in the air, 50 feet in the air? What's um, kind of a standard? I think that the... the, the the it used to be the average uh, hub height for most of those was eighty meters, so that's two hundred and sixty-two oh, feet. Higher than I picked. And the new yeah. average is hundred meters, so that's three hundred twenty-eight feet. And so I so take. So this my, is not something you put in your front yard. Well, there is front. There are front yard turbines. The Bergy XL generally goes on um, XL fifteen. Generally goes on a hundred foot tower. Okay. Is their most common one hundred and twenty feet. Yeah. And you asked that about uh, about that before. Yeah. And they do need to be on towers because as you said, we're at the bottom of the ocean, which I described as the boundary yeah. layer. Yeah. So yeah. this is where the upper air mass, the moving air mass is touching the ground. Right. And how windy is it in the dirt? No wind, right? But just above the dirt, it starts getting windier. So there's this gradient of yeah. no wind in the dirt to very windy up there. And so that's a it's a curve called the wind shear curve. So the wind increases with height above ground because the earth drags, is a friction that drags on that air mass and slows it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if your wind turbine is too short, it's the winds are too low. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you got a double whammy with through these short towers. The winds are diminished closer to the ground and the obstructions on the earth cause turbulence. So, you know, when wind flows over a house, it tumbles mm-hmm. and rolls, creates little tornadoes that you can't see, but are destructive for a wind generator that's um, designed to have a, a fairly smooth flow of air go over that blade. And now you put it down in a low-velocity, turbulent environment, it's not going to be very happy with, with that. It's <laughs> right. like buying a Tesla and going off-roading with it. It's like, yeah. you know, we didn't really build it for it's that. It's not why we, yeah. Although the Model Y, I think, is all-wheel drive. It seems pretty. <laughs> uh, as the distributed wind energy systems engineer for National Laboratory run by the U.S. Department of Energy, <laughs> what's, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Like what, you know, like right. knowing this information is super cool. Yeah. But like... You know, what do you what are you gonna what do you want to see? Yeah, even though we've been doing this wind energy stuff for decades, it is yeah. still challenging to get it right. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, and we know it's a, a significant can be a significant contributor to clean energy. Yeah, sure. And we know we want to. We have several motivations to pursue more clean energy. Uh, climate change, and um, is the big one. Yeah, sure. And and we know that distributed wind will, um, even though it's challenging for homes and farmers and businesses and communities to erect a wind turbine on a tower and harness the wind energy and make some of the electricity. We know it has to be a part of the equation of the solution. Yeah. Um, even if they cover their roof in solar and do efficiency efforts and electri- but if they electrify the whole transportation sector, we're going to need a lot of electricity. Yeah. And we're, it's kind of like all hands on deck. Is there a percentage that's kind of the golden number that like by such and such year, we hope that 10% of all energy will come from wind or yeah, we've had those, yeah, those targets have been, they've come and gone and we keep increasing them and it keeps getting more urgent and more urgent Yeah, uh, to where we're like, we've got to stop with the fossil fuels and the carbon release into the atmosphere. We've got to have more wind, more solar, more hydro, more, uh, and less internal combustion and all that stuff. It's just getting more and more important. Uh, so distributed wind, our focus has been um, low, lowering the cost. So we aid the manufacturers of the wind turbines in their projects to make theirs more efficient, more reliable, uh, manufacture them at a lower cost. Uh, sometimes, you know, like, like Berge Wind Power has been making a, a good wind turbine since 1983, <laughs> but in 20, I don't know, 15 or so, it was like, I, it can't compete with this solar. Um, we've got we've to gotta lower our cost of energy. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost scrapped it and started over. After all those decades of learning, they made a really uh, nice wind turbine now that makes more energy and costs less and is reliable um, and with very minimal maintenance. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a difficult engineering solution, but we can do it. Um, and it's using something that's just going to be here. Right. Like you said, when you said, quote unquote, free. Yeah. Free fuel. It's, but it's, go, it's whipping through the yeah. air. Yeah. We have the fuel. We just, and we're pretty good about uh, assessing the wind resource. Like, is it windy enough there? We're continuously trying to improve the turbines so they are uh, durable and cost effective. Now, you can make it bulletproof, but no one could afford it. And it, the energy it put out would not make any economic sense. And therefore, uh-huh. no one would do it. And therefore, it's not a solution. Yeah. Uh, you can make them cheap and light and easy, but then they, the first storm blows them apart. And then no one does it, yeah. and it's not a solution. Yeah. And so it's a very difficult balance between make it robust and reliable yeah. and and. I know. So I was thinking about like if I put something <laughs> on my house. Yeah. It's like uh, for, I'm making up numbers, but for a hundred million dollars, you could put <laughs> one up that goes 300 meters and right. <laughs> generates everything for your whole house yeah. and will always, but uh, you don't want to spend a hundred million dollars in your house. Yeah. Or you could stick a, a cheap little thing on your roof that'll turn and it will, do it will generate the amount of like one one hundredth of your toaster. Mm. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Okay, I don't want to do that either. And yep. and as soon as the first storm comes, it'll destroy it and knock it off the house. So neither one of those are yep. going to be an option for me. So do you think that the answer moving forward is mostly related to 
wind farm, like huge places where the wind's strongest, where there's a huge effort, or is the answer with individuals doing their own thing? Right. The answer is yes. <laughs> we have a whole centered focus on offshore wind because uh -huh. that is the solution. We have a yeah. whole group on improving land-based wind farms that you see driving across the country. And then where I work is distributed wind. So it's not offshore wind. It's not wind farms. It's wind where people live. So that's what distributed wind is. Yeah, it's distributed uh, amongst the people. <laughs> so like the university has a wind turbine, and it feeds into their energy needs. So Oh, right. Not distributed wind. Distributed wind energy. Wind energy. <laughs> right. I was like, how do you distribute wind? Okay, <laughs> The wind, wind does what it wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just have to put it energy. in the right yeah, place. Yeah. Yeah. Distributed wind is wind turbines, uh, basically where people are using the energy. So you need you need uh, a load, which means the use for the electricity. We got that covered in most places. Mm -hmm. You need the wind resource. It has to be windy enough. Yeah, it's um, it's it's not binary. It's not either windy or not. It's yeah. sort of a a graph, like sure. from disappointing to almost too windy, <laughs> with a good sweet spot in the middle. Yeah, okay. Um, and then you have to have some space, like you said. Yeah. You need to have the tower, and you need it to have a but. You need to you really want to position the rotor of the wind turbine well above the trees. So to make that happen, you need some space to do that. So like think of Brooklyn, New York. You don't really want to put wind turbines in Brooklyn, you know, where it's a concrete jungle. Yeah. And it would not make sense to really put them on little wind turbines on top of the tall buildings. Rather, you want to look like out at the. Uh, wastewater treatment plant, the recycling center, the naval shipyard, where you have close proximity to the load, but now you have space and it's windy out there. So that's it still makes distributed sense, except wind. One thing you just said that explain why it wouldn't make sense to, for those turbines to go on top of tall buildings. Right. Isn't it already a tower naturally and you just stick yeah. the thing on top? Yes. Yeah, it attracts a lot of people. That idea attracts people to uh -huh. that idea. Um, and I met with the commissioners that make those decisions um, in Manhattan, <clears throat> way up in one of those buildings. And they're like, people are proposing putting windmills on these buildings. Yeah, they're whipping through. Yeah, and Is so... because people, quote, don't like that? Well, Is that we've, why? Uh, consultants have done studies on the wind resource in the city, and it's very turbulent. Uh -huh. All those obstructions create this mess of a wind. Ah, oh, right. Um, which is difficult to harness. And um, there's risk involved. You have a spinning object, and no one can say that nothing bad will ever happen. Um, and well, if, if you put a wind turbine on a building, if anything ever happens, it's most likely going to fall on someone's head. It'll and so the risk to reward of a little wind turbine on a huge building that yeah. could cause massive death it could kill someone and they're like yeah. okay it's not worth it yeah if it's in the ocean you go man we just lost a million dollars worth of materials as right. opposed to exactly. human death right so you know the the risk is too high the wind resource kind of sucks because of turbulence yeah it's not going to flow yeah, like it's, you want it's, it's going to be it's a swirly mess in there uh huh okay and so if you put it a little bit out of town where you do have space smoother winds and then uh, you'll be you know, way more successful it's still in Brooklyn, but it's not on the buildings, <laughs> and it's not down in the street. Yeah, uh, you don't go. Like, but it's the man, most challenging. Fall on us right now. But that urban environment is challenging for har harvesting energy. Even but it's solar. also where you need the most energy, yeah. right? So that's why you look <laughs> offshore. 
just mm -hmm. offshore of that load center, you can have a massive multi-gigawatt wind farm that you could barely see and transmitting right there. tons, you know, tons of energy via undersea cable to that load center and virtually, you know, very minimal impact. Man, that's great. So that's that urban, those East Coast urban environments are going to be best served by that offshore wind sector. Whereas a farm in Western Pennsylvania mm -hmm. with, um, Rising energy costs, um, they definitely could benefit from an on-site wind turbine. Yeah, because there's not millions of people living in exactly right Yeah, you can just put it out by the barn, yeah. and it, you know, <laughs> if it did fall over, uh, nothing. It would probably doesn't probably kill nothing. you. Yeah, most likely, the risk is very low. Mm -hmm. And it's not like these things fly apart and fall, fall no, down no. all the time, but you have to think about a risk assessment. How long do they last? Um, they're engineered to last 20 years. So in some turbulent environments, they may not last that long. In other environments with good maintenance, they may last longer. Mm -hmm. But generally, they're striving for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a car. Yeah. You can crash it. You can wreck a car in five years, or you can make it last 50 years. It's kind of a metal thing, it sounds like. Metal and engines. Yeah, it's moving parts. Yeah. So you have... Um, not just the friction, but you have fatigue of the materials. They're always moving, and that just fatigues the materials until they're no longer usable eventually. Yeah, and if it's one individual on their farm, right, they might push that and go, ah, well, let's just keep it going until it falls apart. They do, but yeah. But if, it's, mm -hmm. if it's, this could fall and do damage somewhere, you probably have, like, no, we replace it. Even if it's not falling apart, exactly. we replace it, yeah. Right. Yeah, and and you know wind farms they're built by developers to make electricity to sell to the market and make it's a business adventure. Yeah, it's a business yeah. venture. But distributed wind, like App State here, they're basically like, look, we want to put up wind energy and and because we believe in sustainability, we want yeah. to generate some of our own power with a clean resource. Um, so it's not a money-making endeavor. It's like we're contributing and we're trying to do some good here. Mm -hmm. So you have different motivations a lot of times with distributed wind. It's not always a business deal. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. It, it, it still needs to be competitive cost of energy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or else it's not a, a good option. I know. If you want to uh, blow... I mean... You can do that. Some people blow their money on a big RV. Other ones are yeah. just green enthusiasts, and they put up a windmill, and it does what it does, and they're happy for it. Mm -hmm. So what do we do as individuals? Like, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like I can make much of an impact on what the U.S. Department of Energy is going to decide, but is that untrue? Can I make a difference in that regard? Like yeah, you know, it's that's that's politics. Yeah. In other words, our government is supposed to be a reflection of their the yeah. wants and needs and desires of the constituents. So mm -hmm. all that all that those wants and goals should flow to the government so yeah. they can put point us point our ship in the right direction. So as as the uh distributed wind energy systems engineer Got any advice on how I do that? How do I tell the United States that I would like to see more wind energy? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, we're technically focused. We're a research lab, and we right. try to technically do the work that would benefit the industry yeah. and make things better. Yeah. Um, and before I worked for the National Lab, I worked a lot on this topic that you're mentioning yeah, yeah. with the Distributed Wind Energy Association. Okay. 
who uh, they go to lobby uh, every year oh, on yeah. Capitol Hill, and they hire um, a great lobbyist named Lloyd Ritter. And so Lloyd full time takes that message to Cap to the Hill. How about that? And he gets the input from all of us. Okay. Um, and then once a year, normal folks walk around the Capitol uh, to offices with legislators okay. and tell their story. Like, I installed them in New York, and um, you know it's a great option for these farmers. And here's what we need to make it even more successful. Yeah, I teach people about it. We do this, yeah. and so you come in, tell your story, right, and express what um, what people want and what would make things better, and then that somehow flows up the chain into better policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's That's good. It's like someone has to actively have make their voice heard. So how do you spell Ritter? R-I-T-T-E-R. Okay, Lloyd Ritter. So people yeah. can Google Lloyd Ritter. Yeah, or just DWEA, Distributed Wind Energy Association, okay. and okay. say, uh, and that's, so they're focused on, on, on helping make better policy. Right, and then your, your current job is let's implement this and do it the best way we can. Yeah, let's test the blades, make sure they'll hold up. Mm-hmm. Let's help this company make their uh, generator uh, cost less with mm-hmm. advanced manufacturing techniques. That's good. Let's uh, certify these wind turbines, which means someone's tested them, so yeah. we know that when you put it up, it will perform pretty well and not be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, <that'd> be nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's create a whole uh, deployable type of wind turbine that can be sent and easily deployed in a defense or disaster scenario. Oh, so wow. Kind right. of a niche little market that could use some wind energy as well. Oh, man, I never even thought about that. It's uh, mm-hmm. plenty of disasters around the world, and they need stuff fast, right? Right. So there's people doing that with solar, oh, generators, so yeah. and we're just adding to the mix with deployable wind as well. So, I mean, you've kind of, you've kind of already answered this, but just to kind of ask it again, why, why is wind your, your jam? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, it was... Because I was opportunistic, that's the door that opened, and I went through uh-huh. it. Yeah. But I stayed. I stayed because right. it's a a dynamic way for you to interact with nature and generate some energy. Mm-hmm. It's challenging. It needs technical assistance um, to be to become better and better. Right. More efficient and less less cost. Um, and so I think I like that. I like these, you know, there's never a shortage of projects, right. room for improvement, Yeah. never a dull moment. It's kind of not for the faint of heart, wind. Mm. Um, and other people do the, have the same outlook with solar. It looks like it's just laying there, but there's lots of technical stuff going <laughs> right, on. Sure. And lots of issues and policy and efficiencies and costs. Same issues with solar. And I could have gone in that direction, but wind is just, you know, it really makes me excited. And yeah, that drives the, the motivation to, to help improve things, I think. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's a distributed solar energy systems engineer, right? Yeah, yeah we're in the wind energy technologies <laughs> office from the Department of Energy. There's a whole solar energy technologies sure. office that does some, just doing amazing work as well. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> any, other, any other things you had? Oh, okay, I'll I'll leave you with this. Yeah. Um, when we have nice weather, that's that's a high pressure system moving through. Okay. And that turns clockwise. And so when okay. uh, when it's nice, the wind's probably coming from the west northwest. Okay. But 
bad weather is a low pressure system like tropical depression fred comes out of the atlantic or the gulf yeah when those come into town those are turning counterclockwise and so those nasty rainy destructive tropical storm winds come from the opposite direction from the southeast so you've got this beautiful prevailing wind from tennessee and then one day it starts to come from the other direction look out because that is a low pressure counterclockwise wind and those and cause destruction. that's a storm mm-hmm. but i guess there's benefit to them right yeah like, so because I, I, the reason i say that is it seems like that means <laughs> this is a good this is good and this is bad but that's probably not the way to that's not well, the best way to think about weather it. weather is, is good and bad you know yeah and so the, when the barometer is rising high pressure nice clear days right but when the barometer is falling the weather is going to turn bad and so like if you're if you live in the weather, if you're a sailor, you're really in tune with this. Yeah. And uh, but around here, you'll maybe you'll start to notice when we get a tropical storm, the wind comes from the other direction, from the southeast. <laughs> and does that screw with all of the wind energy, uh, like the wind turbines and all that? Uh, they're ready for it. I've been on Beach Mountain because they all yaw, which is a verb meaning to uh, uh, change your orientation, like look around. You know, like oh, your neck. Right. Is uh, uh, sailboats yaw. And oh, uh, yeah, wind turbines, it. y'all. I'd never so knew they, that word. They look north, they look south, they look east, they look west. They point to the wind. And so uh, I've been on Beach Mountain. All the wind turbines are looking uh, toward Tennessee, maybe the northwest, to, in that prevailing wind direction. And then everything kind of stops. You look, you see some dark clouds, and then boom, the wind switches from you, the, you coming mean, from the southeast, yeah. and they all yaw around. And Which now means they're looking somebody that way. engineered that. Yeah. That's they have to yaw. They have man. to track the wind because they know the wind direction changes. So they may have a tail, they may have a motor, but they have a way of knowing where the wind's coming from, pointing at it, and it's like, here we go. Now we're now we got some Look, southeast winds. If you were standing there watching it, you'd think that they, like artificial intelligence. They went, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's just because the. Yeah, you look at it like, why are y'all doing that? Like, oh no, why there's are, a storm coming. Why are y'all yawing? <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, storm comes. And it gets dark That's and rainy. Phenomenal. And they they were the first to tell me about it because that counterclockwise rotation had and probably arrived. some dog barking too. <laughs> yeah. probably, yeah. the, the goats went in the barn. <laughs> the turbines yawed. <laughs> You're like something's going on. Something's going on. I right. feel it in my body. Right. Yeah, some old man's uh, bad knee is acting up. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he just bursitis. Right, right. Oh, that's so good, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. It's a fun topic. That. Yeah, I think we got it. Great. You got anything else? No, uh, other than sometimes trees grow funny because it's such a strong prevailing wind direction. We, we've we seen on <laughs> I-40, if you go west, you hit Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And, and the trees are always doing yeah, that. Yeah, it's called flagging. And flagging. they'll deform from the wind. You're like, oh, yeah, this is a windy place. I've also seen it uh, at Grandfather Mountain. Yep. Some, some of them are... Yep, exactly. It's a, we throw the flagging sign. Oh, that's what that is. Four okay. fingers pointed to the side. Yeah. If you're wondering which direction the wind typically blows, just look at this tree right here. <laughs> but you're right. You have to get all the way to the middle of Oklahoma before you see that, unless you're on a windy ridge. Yeah. Like Grandfather. Which is kind of like an island, I guess, too, isn't it? I mean, an air island. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's generating that compression, and it's poking up into the uh, the moving air mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's its own joint. Yep. I love that. All right. All right. We're careful out there with the wind. Harness it if you can. <laughs>